Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Good morning, friends. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus, the one to whom belongs all authority. Amen. And if you would go ahead and open up to Romans uh, in your uh, journal or in the Pew Bibles, page 948. And before we read the text in Romans 13, I want to first go back to Romans 12. Uh, Because once again, Romans 12 sets the tone for what we're talking about. Romans 13 deals with the relationship that Christians ought to have with governing authorities, whether it be in Rome 2,000 years ago or right now in the United States. And in order to understand that, we have to go back to Romans 12 and recognize the bigger picture of what Paul's doing. So remember, Romans 12, 1 through 2 is kind of the thesis statement for everything Paul's saying in these chapters. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so I would hold out to you today that Paul is showing us in Romans 13 what it means to have a relationship with the government that is not conformed by the the world and the way the world thinks, but that's rather transformed through the mind of Christ. And so that'll be our focus today. Uh, Let's take a look at the text, Romans 13, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
And so once again, Paul is uh, helping us to not be conformed to the world when it comes to our approach to government, but rather to be conformed to Christ. Uh, how ought we, based on everything else that Paul has said, how ought we to think and speak and act about the authorities that rule us in government? Now, you can imagine that maybe somebody might be reading uh, what Paul wrote in Romans 2,000 years ago in the city of Rome, and they might say, so you're saying, Paul, that because Jesus is Lord, I don't have to care about Caesar because if Jesus is Lord, Caesar's not. And so I don't need to pay him taxes. I don't need to give him respect. I don't need to give him honor because Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, well, hold up, hold up. No, actually, Paul says, all authority comes from God. Now, no authority is perfect, but all authority comes from God. And therefore, we as Christians ought to have a posture of respect and reverence for the authorities that be. Now, this is a text that Christians will often debate, and sometimes when we hear this text, it may provoke a response of, yeah, but, right? So I get it that we're supposed to show respect to governing authorities, yeah, but I'm upset, or I don't agree. Or we might have a response of, are you saying that? We might say, okay, I get it. We're supposed to have respect for governing authorities. But are you saying that we should just be quiet and let anything happen and not speak out, right? Um, so this is a very complex text. I suppose that in reality, I'm not just joking, there's a hundred different ways I could take this sermon. And we could even have a whole sermon series on this text, these seven verses I read. Uh, but for today, I just have one goal. And my goal is that whatever political affiliation that you have, my goal is that whatever uh, approach you have to, to, to politics, my, my goal is that whether you're upset or happy or someplace in between, if you're checked out or you're way too involved, wherever you're at with politics, my goal is that you would have a different attitude, an attitude of reverence and respect for those in authority because of the authority of Jesus, to whom every authority will one day bow. I was on a road trip, um, I think it was about a year ago or so, uh, driving to Colorado and had the boys with me. We were doing our annual boy trip and so uh, going out to hang out in the mountains. And while we were driving, um, I saw a flag, a very prominent Flag, like the kind of flag on the side of the highway that you just, you're not going to miss it. It's very visible. And the flag had a word on it. It's a word I'm not going to say. If you've ever watched the Christmas story and you remember the, the, the scene where Ralphie gets out of the car to change the tire with his father, it's the word. It was the word and the name of our current president. Just simply up there on a flag, waving for everybody to see on the highway. Now, my first thought was, wow, I was surprised. I'm like, is that really where we are these days? Is that how bad things have gotten in terms of our political discourse? And my second thought was, I really hope the boys are reading a book and they don't see that because you're not going to miss it. 
Sure enough, we passed the flag, and one of my boys said, Dad, did you see that flag? And I said, yeah, I did. Um, but it was an opportunity for us to talk about the, the way that we as Christians speak and talk differently about authority. It was an opportunity to talk about how Paul says in Romans 13 that we ought to have reverence and respect and honor for authorities. It was an opportunity to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul exhorts us to pray for governing authorities. Now I'm hoping, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that none of you have that flag in your yard or on your car, right? But I wonder if maybe if you saw that on social media, you might kind of laugh about it. Or maybe you might even like it or share it. Or maybe if there's some lesser disrespect shared on the internet that you might like that or share that or speak that and think it's funny. When Paul says it's not. In fact, Paul says that when we resist authority with disrespect, we're actually resisting God and such things incur God's wrath. That's serious, right? Um, years ago, when I was a, a vicar, um, I noticed, this is back when uh, President Obama was president, and one of the things I noticed is that people, uh, Christians, people uh, in the church would often on social media share things that just simply weren't true. Um, they would share things that would say that our former president was an Islamic terrorist and was not a citizen of this country. And it's like, we as Christians are truth people. And we ought to never share something or say something disrespectful like that unless it's actually true, right? And I think that people were sharing those things because it fit what they already believed to be true. And because it fit with what they believed or wanted to be true, it became true. In many ways, I think we live in a post-truth society where truth is no longer what's true, it's what's useful. And so I think there's opportunity for all of us to repent, for us to have a renewed attitude as we approach authority. Uh, I'll give you another example. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor. And as a pastor, it's been his, uh, his habit that often he will pray for government authorities in the prayers. And that's normal because Paul commands us to do that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's in our prayers in the hymnal that we would pray often for those who govern us. And this pastor would make it a point of always praying for the president and, and the governor and, and the senate and, and the mayor by name. Doesn't matter who's in office, by name. This was 2016, and former President Trump was uh, just newly elected or inaugurated into office. And on that particular Sunday, my friend got up and he prayed for uh, our then President Trump. And after church, on the greeting line, on the way out, there was a man who was visibly angry. He was fuming. And he said to the pastor, he said, how dare you pray for that man in church? Now, what kind of attitude does that communicate? Certainly not one of reverence or respect for authority, right? 
It's an opportunity to repent. And by the way, to leave the church over that, I mean, come on, right? It means maybe somebody else is Lord instead of Jesus in our thinking. Paul says in Romans 13, 1, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. Paul isn't saying that authority is perfect or that authority doesn't make mistakes or that sometimes authority is uh, wrong. He says, but all authority has been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, I want you to see something here. Paul didn't always agree with Roman authority, and yet he still commands the Romans to respect it. Paul even didn't always obey Roman authority, but once again, he still calls for an attitude of reverence, honor, and respect. If we look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we will see times when God's people have disobeyed authority. And they paid for it. But I want you to notice two things about the disobedience towards authority in the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. The first is this, is that when God's people disobey authority, they're disobeying something that is clearly in contradiction of God's Word. Not a debated thing, not something that people argue about. No, something that God has given a clear commandment about. That is where the disobedience comes in. So, for example, um, the Sunday school heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, they are commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar to worship the statue and thereby break the first commandment. And they say, no, we can't because that's a clear commandment from God. It's not a matter of public policy that's, you know, you could go either way. It's, it's, no, this is a clear commandment from God. And so they disobeyed. But the second thing I want you to know is that when Christians disobey authority, they still do it with an attitude of respect. So you may notice that in the book of Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobey the authority, they still call the king by his title and they speak to him with reverence. Or take, for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, uh, the ruling authorities in Jerusalem say, stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus or else. And you'll notice that the apostles did not respond disrespectfully, but rather they honored that authority, but they said, we must obey God and not men. There's still an attitude of respect. There wasn't cursing. In fact, there's even an episode in the book of Acts. If you want to look at the church's approach to authority, read the book of Acts because, you know, Paul, Paul holds authority accountable when he's thrown in jail. Read Acts 16. You'll see that. But also you'll see that Paul actually uh, kind of loses his temper with authority and says something that maybe he shouldn't. And he actually apologizes um, when he speaks harshly to the high priest. When Christians disobey authority, they do it on the basis of a clear command from God and also with respect still. 
God calls us to have an attitude of respect for authority, reverence, doing good, paying taxes, offering prayers, because Christians, more than anyone else, should genuinely care about the flourishing of human beings within a good society. We care about that more than anybody else, right? And you may understand this, but in your emotions, you may still struggle with this. Because you may say, well, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm let down when it comes to politics. But this has always helped me to put things in perspective. Did you know that the same Roman authority that Paul is calling the Romans to submit to and to have respect for, that same Roman authority is the same Roman authority that crucified our Lord Jesus. It was under the authority of Pontius Pilate who held the authority of Rome that our Lord Jesus was crucified. Did you hear it in the gospel reading? Jesus says, you would not have this authority unless it was given to you. The same Rome that Paul is talking about is the same Rome that often put Paul into prison, where he wrote many of his letters. The same Rome that Paul is is calling us to have an attitude of respect to is the same Rome that would actually martyr Paul. In fact, it's likely that when Paul's writing Romans, Nero is in charge. Do you know anything about Nero? Not a friend of Christians, especially in later years and likely the emperor under which Paul lost his head, literally. Why was Paul able to speak this way? Well, it's because Paul knows that Jesus is Lord and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and every human authority will have to give an account to Jesus as the final authority. And in the end, Paul knows that Jesus is king and he will sit on the throne and he will rule over all things, giving perfect justice. You see, Christians knew this in the early centuries, even when they were persecuted by Rome. And you see, what Christians didn't do is Christians were not insurrectionists. Christians did not respond with violence and and uprising, but Christians were also not quietists. They didn't just stay quiet and not say anything. Rather, Christians actually transformed Roman society in a powerful way because of the way they lived their lives in a radically different way because their lives reflected that Jesus is Lord. And so when there were pandemics in the Roman Empire, the Christians were the ones who stayed back and cared for people. When infants were exposed and left to die because they weren't wanted, Christians were the ones who adopted them into their families. And the Romans thought this was weird. They're like, they gotta be eating those babies, right? They're probably cannibals because they just didn't have a category for the care of those who have nothing to offer immediately, the least of these. The early church father Tertullian says that what the Romans would say about the early Christians is not see how right they are, but see how they loved each other. And it's that love that actually transformed an entire society in ways that we even feel now. So how can you and I have a different attitude toward the government? 
How can you and I have a, a, an attitude that's marked by reverence and respect and not anger or anxiety or complacency? Because, friends, that's what's behind this. We get stirred up and we get angry or we get complacent because we don't really know if the people in charge actually have our best in mind. And so we respond with anger, anxiety, apathy, complacency. How can we have a different attitude? Well, the answer is always Jesus. The way that we can have a different attitude is by our bold confession and confidence in the lordship of Jesus because we need to remind ourselves that all authority will and must bow to him. We know how the story ends and who sits on the throne. What is guiding all of history? Who's in charge? It's a Jewish rabbi who was crucified under the authority of Rome, and yet, yet God reversed that verdict and raised him from the dead so that you and I might be perfectly forgiven and justified and belong to him forever. Friends, that's who's in charge of all things, even when in the moment it doesn't look like it. And so that gives us the confidence, that gives us a different way of approaching things, we are able through the lordship of Jesus to have a posture of calmness, but also urgency. Calmness because we know who's in charge, but urgency because if Jesus is in charge, he's given us a lot of work to do in caring for our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, the society that we live in. So I want you to think about it this way. Um, let's imagine that you are on a ship, and it's like one of those 1911 ships, or was it 1912, the Titanic, right? You're cruising on this ship through the, the northern Atlantic frigid waters, and you run into the proverbial iceberg, and the uh, hull is filling up with water, and the ship is starting to tip, and it becomes very clear that this ship is sinking. It's going down. And you also know that there's no ships for hundreds of miles who are going to be able to help you. And you also know that there are limited lifeboats. What's the attitude going to be like on that ship? Panic, right? It's going to be hysteria. I mean, people who were maybe at once having dinner and coffee together and who are speaking kindly are now going to be short with one another. They're going to have like a scarcity mindset. And, and, and people are probably going to begin to divide into camps, right? About, hey, we're the pro, wait to see if we get rescued camp. And we're the pro, you know, just mad grab for getting on a life vest, uh, you know, crowd. And then we're the jump over the, 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 the side because there's no hope crowd. You know what I mean? Like people would probably naturally divide into different crowds and parties. Uh, and, and there would be anger and anxiety and shouting and frustration and even violence because you don't know how the story is going to end and you're pretty sure it's not going to end well. Now, do you, know, do you know why people on both sides of the political spectrum are so angry and stirred up and frustrated? Because they don't believe that Jesus is Lord. Or if they do, they're not putting it into practice. They don't know how the story ends. And they think it's all up to us. By any means necessary, violence, whatever, ruining Thanksgiving, whatever. 
ranting and raging on Facebook and getting into fights with people by any means because we don't know how this ends. Now, if you can imagine that, which it's not hard to imagine that in our discourse these days politically, if you can imagine that, imagine that you're on the same boat, but there's some factors that are different. Now, not everybody knows these factors, but you do. Let's say that, that the ship is sinking, the hole's filling up with water, the ship is tipping, uh, everybody's anxious and, and worried, but you have been in uh, the, uh, the, the front of the ship in, and, and you've got a radio transmission that there is a ship on the way that will get there in time, that has plenty of resources to help. And you also know that there's actually more lifeboats available, more life vests available than there are people. Now, a lot of people don't know this because they weren't listening, right, when the uh, boat safety instructions were given at the beginning, right? And so they're, you know, angry and they're frustrated and, and there's lots of anxiety, but, but you and your friends know something different. You know how the story ends. How, how are you and your friends who know that inside information going to approach this situation differently? You are likely going to be the calmest people on the boat but you're also going to be the most urgent people on the boat because you want to really care for people, help them to hear the good news and, and to calm down and to be orderly and not hurt one another and say, hey, help actually is on the way and it's even here right now. Let's get into these lifeboats. Let's not throw each other overboard or punch each other or things like that, right? And isn't that the way that we're called to be as the church? Because we believe that Jesus is Lord and he has all authority. And the same love that led him to be born and to suffer and to die and to rise and to be crucified for us, that same love is on the throne and will have the final word in everything. If you know that, it makes you the calmest person in the room. It means the church should be the calmest people in society, but also the most urgent because we really care about our neighborhoods, our communities, the society we live in. We're not gonna be the kind of people who say, oh, somebody else will vote, it doesn't matter. We're gonna be the people who really care. We're gonna do it in a calm, gentle, respectful way. Because it's actually possible to be right, but to be wrong. Because you're being right in the wrong way. In the book of James, this is just a good life verse to have on the refrigerator or on a coffee cup. Paul, uh, James says that the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Did you hear that? The anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. So the simple question I want to conclude with today is, hey, if we hear a sermon, we want to do something with it, right? We don't want to just have it be like nice talk and then it doesn't change our lives. I want you to really think about what's a way, what's maybe the next step for me to embody, to show forth to the world that Jesus is in charge? What is it, what's the next step for me to be renewed in my mind, to be conformed to Christ and not the world when it comes to this issue of politics. And so here are just some examples. You know, maybe it means that you really do need to take a break from social media. Like just turn that thing off for a couple months, right? 
It'd probably be great for you and for your whole family and for your mental health and all those things, right? Or maybe you need to put some restrictions on it where, where very prayerfully you say, hey, I'm going to look at pictures of friends and kids and grandkids and maybe I'll share some cat videos or something, but I'm not going to talk about politics unless it leads to me talking to somebody face-to-face -face over coffee or something, right? And, I, you know, man, pastors have a problem with this too because I tell you what, how, how many times have I seen pastors get on social media and just tear into people and say disrespectful things and ruin relationships, typically over theology, but sometimes politics. It's an opportunity to repent. You know, maybe it means that you're going to turn off 24-hour cable news or you're going to put some limits on it because, you know, like maybe you got the news on all day and you just got this continual anxiety feed going on, outrage, right? Maybe you just need to turn that thing off and spend more time in the scriptures than you spend watching news. Maybe it means that you're actually gonna go back on social media and you're gonna delete a post that was disrespectful. Maybe it was a year or two years ago, but maybe you go back in that thread and delete it out of reverence for Christ. Maybe it means that you actually take a bumper sticker off of your car. And by the way, I'm always here preaching when you're parked, so I don't know who's got what bumper sticker. <laughs> so um, maybe you need to go get a razor blade and some, uh, some goo gone and just scrape that thing off. Maybe you need to ask yourself, is this really a hill I want to die on? Is this really worth ruining Thanksgiving over? Is this really worth an estranged relationship? Is this worth getting in the way of my witness to Christ? And even if it is what you consider a hill to die on, could I speak about this with gentleness and respect and in person? And can I listen before I speak? Maybe it means that if you're a part of a political party that you're gonna be critical of your own political party and not just grab onto everything that's said. And maybe if you know somebody who's got that flag or who has said those things, you say, you know what? That's not what we're about, right? Maybe it means that you get involved in your community in a real way to do real good with real people. And maybe it means that you make it a point to pray for a leader by name with whom you disagree. Because while you may disagree, doing so, saying that prayer, is a way of showing reverence for Christ. Friends, you can do this because Jesus is Lord. And doing these things actually shows that Jesus is Lord. To him be the glory. Amen. Amen.